Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Trying to get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner. Gets up center. Perry scoops. All right, we're back for a uh, Good Friday edition of the podcast. Not a Good Friday for the Ducks, but uh, no, not many Fridays this year have been. <laughs> I've been good Fridays for the Ducks. I guess it's Saturday technically for me too. For for every most people listen to the show who are live right now, it's it's Friday. And I guess for most of you listening tomorrow, it's probably Saturday. So I'll say it's an Easter Saturday edition of the show. Uh, but we're coming to you live after the Ducks four two lost to the Arizona Coyotes. Um, you know, it's it's just kind of typical game I, I think at this point in the season right Ducks played a pretty decent effort I think Anthony Stolarz had a decent game and there's some crazy goals that we'll get to in this one um, big news is Volkov making his debut scoring in his debut as well but um, you know it's just one of those games for the Ducks this year right where they, they played okay they didn't really get um, you know outgunned too much but ultimately they're at the uh, the wrong end of the scoreboard at the end of the night yeah no I think that's kind of I don't know. That's kind of what par for the course for the season should be, right? Uh, there were moments where they looked solid enough. There were moments where they looked promising. And then there were moments where they just clearly weren't a good team. Um, and it showed. Um, you know, I thought Stellarge did a good job tonight. He looked really good. He's definitely someone who every game he plays, he seems to earn another one. So especially with Gibby and uh, Miller not having great years and then, um, you know, needing the rest, I think. 
Gibby's obviously injured right now. I think uh, Stolarz is the one player that you're kind of looking at and like that he's going to get some some good run here going into the end of the season. Yeah, I mean, there's some guys you really want to get some looks at here and, and how it could shape out next year. So, you know, Stolarz is one of those guys as a potential backup for John Gibson next year. Obviously, Volkov making his debut. I thought he looked pretty good, got some PK time, uh, got a couple good chances, and that ends up getting, uh, you know, his first goal as a duck, too, which was nice. And ultimately, the lineup, I think, was one of the best we've seen all year and maybe outside of, Sam Steele and Sonny Milano, who are still out, and Sam Steele was placed on the IR before this game. You know, if you replace Deloria and Grant with with Steele and Milano, you've got probably the best lineup the Ducks could ice and have iced all year. So, it, it, you know, it's it's signs of of some bright spots here. I think you know Zegras getting his first look with with Getzlaff was something that had a lot of people excited, especially since it's his return to the lineup after uh, a couple games out and then Volkov kind of getting thrown right into the mix here uh, and essentially a top six. I know it was uh, it was slated as a third line, but getting to play with Lindstrom and Comtois is a bit above the opportunities that uh, he was getting in Tampa Bay. So it was nice to see him kind of, you know, right off the bat being given some responsibility with uh, with some pretty you know talented players in the Ducks lineup and given those uh, responsibilities outside of offense on the penalty kill as well. Yeah, no, exactly. I think that was something I noticed kind of right away was who he was playing with um, and what that, that kind of showed. Yeah, no, I mean, I said to you before we started that I think this is probably as good a lineup as we've seen all year. You know, you can definitely, um, maybe theoretically you want to swap, uh, you know, like a Rowney or a Milano, obviously, for Delorier and Grant, you know, between Steele and Bacchus, I think I'd rather take Bacchus at this point. Um, but even with that, I thought that was fine. I feel like Jacob Silverberg kind of pulled them on the line up just a base level of competence. And so I felt that there was a benefit. And the rest of the lineup felt really balanced to me. So I, I think, you know, I think Shattenkirk moving down to play with Hutton was a really good pairing. Um, Manson and Drysdale seemed to be playing pretty well together. And then, you know, Fowler and Hockenpah have kind of turned into the de facto number one pair to all things considered right now. So yeah. I think, you know, when you're looking at the the way the lineup's built and the way they played, I think that's kind of, they, they've kind of earned another game to just go out there and do this again. Yeah, I, th- I think it speaks again to the, the confidence of uh, the, the organization and Jamie Drysdale to play him on his offside mm-hmm. like they have so often this year with Josh yeah. Manson. And then again, you look at it the way he played in this game, uh, you know, made some very good defensive uh, decisions. Uh, there was one in the third period where yeah, that just showed his speed was on full display. Got back, made a, a couple good plays to kind of block the pass and eliminated what could have been a potential two-on-one for the Coyotes in the in uh, in that game. I think it was a tied two-two game at that point too. So it was a, a big play from him. Picks up the assist offensively. A nice play for him to kind of keep the play alive, which uh, ended up being the uh, first goal for Volkov as well. And a couple good offensive decisions uh, from him in the game as well, where you know he just you, you sit back sometimes, and I know I messaged you this during the game, like you forget he's eighteen. You know, I know he's nineteen in in five days, but mm-hmm. even that, like this guy, the how quickly he's adjusted in only you know, I think he's getting close to ten games now. It, it's pretty unbelievable how quickly he's been able to step into the lineup and really not look out of place at all. Like he, there's a, I think there's this pretty good argument to make that he's been the Ducks' best defenseman since he's been inserted into the lineup. 
that's absolutely true. Uh, I, you know, I saw the exact same thing that you saw as far as looking at him playing on his offside with Manson and thinking about how, you know, that's testament to his skill more than anything uh, as far as, you know, because I think the normal concerns with having to take it on your backhand and having to turn your back to the play and things like that, uh, I think exists for anybody, right? If that's something you're concerned about. But I think for someone so young, the fact that they're actually would rather have him do it than force another lefty into the lineup, um, I think is really telling uh, just how far they, how talented they think he is, how skilled he is. Um, but yeah, no, he's been the best player, maybe been the best player on the team, to be honest. Um, so I, I think there is, oh, sorry, I'm getting made fun of for my hat. Uh, <laughs> I knew that was going to come at some point. Angels lost tonight too, so you're just kind of asking for it. I don't care about the Angels. <laughs> hey, neither do I. But I know a lot of our, our fans are, are obviously Angels fans, so you you had to know you were going to get some heat for that hat. Yeah, fair enough. But yeah, I mean, I think there's a legitimate argument you made that Jamie Dreisel has been the, the best player on the team since he's come down. Um, you know, it's going to be a, there's going to be a lot to a lot of questions now. We have Getzloff's injury and what that does to the rest of the lineup. Um, you know, he didn't play, I think, past the middle. Uh, the nine o'clock mark, something like that, in the second period. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see what that does to the lineup decisions, and if maybe Volkov gets a look at center, I think would yeah. be interesting. Or maybe Trevor Zegers gets a look at center, which would be uh, a oh, nice yeah. shift. Um, I mean, at the very least, it it should mean Trevor Zegers is in the lineup for the next few games here because Sam Steele's on the IR. Obviously, we don't wish any ill will to Ryan Getzlaff, but if he is out for you know a few games here nobody can really come in for for Trevor Zegers I mean I guess Andrew Agazino could check in and I wouldn't put it past Dallas Akins to uh, take Trevor Zegers out of the lineup to play Andrew Agazino nine minutes which was what they did a couple games ago but uh, I want to get to this question before we lose it in the chat here from Dave that was uh, talked about Zegers uh, he said do you think Zegers needs to add some weight or muscle in the offseason seems like he has a hard time fighting uh, and winning for uh, winning puck battles, um, I mean it's gonna come right. Like that's that's one thing that I think a lot of scouts noted with Trevor Zegers. He's just a bit slight uh, when, especially when he was drafted. I think he was only like 165 pounds. I think he's done mm-hmm. a pretty good job bulking up from last time I saw him. Like when I the last time I, I watched a a live game of his before the World Juniors and before the NHL this year was his time at at BU. And I think you know at the World Juniors he looked a bit bigger, a bit stronger. He was clearly the most dominant player in that tournament and then even over the last couple games here uh of nhl action i think you know i I don't think he's having troubles winning puck battles he's definitely a bit you know smaller and slighter than than his competition but he's got the skill that you know it almost doesn't matter at this point and he'll get he'll put on that size uh you know as he gets more reps in the NHL and, and, you know in the off season when he can kind of really focus on what he wants to focus on at development wise and when we see him step on the ice next year for the 2021-22 season, we'll likely see, uh, you know, I don't want to say a completely different Trevor Zegers, but he'll have that time to really focus on what the organization wants him to focus on. Yeah, I think, I, I honestly think it's a bit of both. You know, I, I do think that he's naturally going to get bigger. He's going to fill out his frame a little bit more. Um, you know, he doesn't shy away from physicality that I've seen yet. Um, he definitely looks to use his skill to mitigate it, avoid it, all that kind of stuff, which is great. Um, but he doesn't avoid it. 
um, it doesn't seem to deter him. There are a couple of times I've seen him kind of throw his body in there and get into board battles. But he's got to get a little bit bigger, and that'll happen over the next couple of years. And on top of that, he'll probably have to spend some time just looking to add weight and add muscle mass and things like that. But that, that'll that come, and you know, it's part of getting older. I think for now, the fact that he doesn't look like he's getting completely pushed around or manhandled in any of those kind of corner battle situations um, is is a big sign and a big positive that when he adds it, it'll only make him a little bit better. I don't think it's going to, it's not covering up for anything. It'll just help him get better. Yeah. And, and I'm going to make a comparison here and I'm not comparing, you know, their kind of projected career paths or anything like that, but just kind of coming into the league as, as a slight player and then eventually putting on weight and, and bulking out. And my prime example always of this is, is Nathan McKinnon. Uh, the guy came into the league as kind of a twig really lanky player. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously supremely skilled player and, and probably a top three player in this league, if not second best behind Connor McDavid. So that that's a far stretch. I don't want to say a far stretch, but a very lofty goal for, for Trevor Zegers to, to Third reach. Third behind McDavid and Matthews? Is that uh, what you said? Uh, yeah, I mean, he's top three. I would say he's better than Matthews, but that's a whole other conversation for us to get into. Um, you I, said Matthews was first, McDavid was second? Yeah, I, I, I know Pat would say Matthews is first and McDavid is second. And probably Dave, because Dave just traded me McDavid in our fantasy hockey league. But we're getting off topic here. Um, McKinney came into the league very slight. And then look at him now. I mean, the guy's probably 215, 220. There was a a point, I think, second or third year where, you know, he came back from the offseason and he just looked like a completely different player. He put on like 20 pounds of muscle. And I I think at some point we're going to see that progression from Trevor Ziggers. We see it from pretty much every NHL player who's labeled slight when they come into the league, barring maybe Johnny Goodrow, uh, who's just not really going to, you know, bulk up much more than, than his frame allows him to. But Zegers is six foot, six foot one. Uh, he's going to grow into that frame a bit more. He's going to put on some muscle uh, and you're going to notice a difference over the next couple of seasons here. It's just going to take him time. And, you know, you, you think he came kind of halfway into this season in terms of when he really got in and started playing. Uh, he's going to get a full off season of development this year and, and kind of work with the, the NHL training staff. And, and they're going to focus on really what they want him to, to grow in. And, and I, I'm sure a lot of that has to be, you know, kind of bulking up his size and, and adding more muscle. Um, it's what we've seen from guys like Sam Steele and a few of the other Ducks prospects that kind of came in and were a bit under underweight, if you want to call it that. So I'm, I'm sure it's, it's definitely on the, the repertoire for, for Zegers to work on in the off season and, not something I'm too worried about. Um, you know, he'll he'll get to that point eventually. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, just sitting here, kind of thinking about it, I think the the player to compare him to is he's gonna he could end up being closer to Corey Perry. Um, you know, I think when you think of putting weight on, you think of guys looking bigger. Um, you know, like a Getzloff or you know Dustin Pemmer in his prime or Ryan Kessler, guys like that. Milan Lucic, Jerome McGinley, they're like a there's a physically imposingness to them. Corey Perry was just tall and long and, you know, he managed to put enough muscle on to allow him to hold his own in, you know, the dirty areas or the, the real physical areas of the thing. And he was able to excel. So I think, you know, I don't think he's ever going to look buff, but I think he can, uh, he can definitely fill out enough that he'll be able to go into the corners and not have any issues. Yeah. You know, I don't think he's going to get taken. He'll have no problems engaging in the physical areas of the thing. 
Uh, all right. Well, uh, let's get past the, the first period. I want to break down the, this game kind of period by period here. We talked about the Volkov goal a bit uh, in the right place in the right time. You know, he did as much as he really could uh, in his debut here. I do want to talk about the Silverberg goal and some of the other goals in this game because this is one of the weirdest games I've seen in a while uh, when it comes to just really weird goals and about three or four of them. The Silverberg one was like a bounce, that a deflection that bounced off the boards out front. Silverberg, he kind of directs his foot uh, and it goes into the net. I, I think that was the right call. I had a lot of people saying it was the wrong call, um, but you're allowed to direct your foot. You're allowed to kind of you know angle your foot for the, the puck to bounce off it and go into the net. You just can't do any kicking motion. Um, I'll get your thoughts on that, but I, I think you know he definitely angled his foot. There's no question about that, uh, but I don't think there's any distinct kicking motion. So I think the refs got the right call here. Uh, in, in calling it a goal for Silverberg, but I know a few people were were thinking that he he this would have been called back here. Yeah, I honestly thought it would get called back. I think, you know, I I think he definitely turned his foot, but I do think he kind of hacky sacked it, which to me is a kick. Um, I think that's right about where the line is as far as what they're going to call on the ice and what they may be less inclined to overturn. I think there wasn't quite enough to make it obvious. And I think they're always going to defer to just letting the calls. But I think the docs got the benefit of the call there. Um, I definitely felt that if that would have been called back, it would have been justifiable for sure. Yeah. I think it's one of those, one of those ones that are kind of right on the edge. I mean, I agreed with the eventual call on the ice, but it is one of those situations where it was a call to go on the ice. It would have had to been completely obvious to overturn it at that point. Um, for that to end up going, you know, not going the Ducks' way. But you look at the goal that happened right after that for Arizona, just a ridiculous bounce off the stanchion. And as it always is this year, if you're playing against the Ducks and you need your first NHL goal, it's uh-huh. it's going to come. And uh, Lane Peterson uh, gets probably the, the luckiest and easiest first NHL goal that we've seen in a while, outside of maybe an empty net goal, because uh, it bounces right off the stanchion, right to him. He's got a one-on-one with Anthony Stolarz, and he makes a good move. I got to give the guy credit for you know your first. I think it was his NHL debut in this game, and uh, mm-hmm. you know to have the confidence to make a move like that around Anthony Stolarz and tuck it into the net. So it's a good move from him, but it's one of, one of those things where it becomes a meme at this point. But it just seems like if you're making your NHL debut wow. at the Ducks, or if you're a team that has a young player and you want him to make his NHL debut, do it against the Ducks because he's likely going to score. Yeah, no, I felt bad for Jay that Jay wasn't able to really jump on this one tonight because I know he loves that. Um, but it was a nice move. He made a great move around Stolarz. Stolarz is, you know, they, you hear it a thousand times on the broadcast. Stolarz is tall. He's got, you know, long legs and stuff like that. And he he perfectly pulled it around Stolarz and he got it in. And good move. Um bad break but you know i you chalk it up when you get the benefit of that silverberg call and things like that so yeah and, and you know you look at the next goal too it's volkov own goal which is which is kind of a disappointing one not much he could do on that play he gets dragged down and kind of just hits him and uh luckily for the the coyotes sake here it uh it goes into the net before he takes the net off the the mole rink so that's a, a disappointing one tough one for stolars too and then this last goal, we get another review here where Schmaltz fires it from the point. And uh, I believe it was, it might have been, no, it was Bunting who was in front of the net. Uh, Ducks challenge for goaltender interference. I think this is another one where it was kind of a borderline call 
where I think if it was called no goal on the ice, it probably stands as no goal. But since it was called goal on the ice, it's really hard to overturn this and say that there was obvious goalie interference here. But he was, you know, he was going and skating through the crease. He was impeding with Anthony Stollers a little bit, but just not really kind of pushing him off, um, you know, pushing him out of the way or really interfering with him enough where I think they can overturn the call. Yeah, I really missed that one um, because I had to step into the kitchen. But I don't think, <laughs> based on what I heard, it didn't sound like it was a big deal. So I don't know. Yeah, it it really was. I mean, he kind of skates slightly backwards and, and finds himself like right. Oh, wait. No, no, no. This is what I wanted to say about that. I'm so sorry. I was just thinking about this. That was the one that it was the – okay. But the thing I thought was interesting about that was that he called it um, – with the three minutes left in the game. And I think between that and him going to the six man power play at the end of the game, I really, really curious how much of some of these lineup decisions that he makes are influenced from the front office because the 11 and seven guy doesn't seem like the guy who's going to go take a risk to have to kill a penalty with three minutes left. And on a, power play goes six on four with an empty net i just think those are more aggressive and progressive moves than some of the lineup decisions and it really makes me wonder if he can't make a lineup to save his life and he just gets decisions right or if he's being meddled with yeah and it's it's hard to tell because you could argue both sides of it right like i know uh, maybe a little bit more than other GMs, Bob Murray is, is pretty hands-on in, in when it comes to kind of lineup mm-hmm. decisions and, and what Dallas Aikens is doing. And when you look at, you know, Dallas Aikens not being a, you know, Matt, Mike Babcock when it comes to experience and could just say, you know, F off to the to the GM. He, he kind of really has to do what Bob Murray says when you look at the, the kind of wealth of experience that, that Murray has compared to the lack of experience that Dallas Aikens has as a head coach. And um, you know, Dallas just right. kind of seems one of those to be one of those guys kind of happy to be there and will do whatever he can uh, to please Murray at this point. So it's, it is kind of hard. And, and I think when you, you ask a lot of Ducks fans to, to kind of place blame, it is kind of hard to place the blame there when it comes to lineup decisions. I think, you know, some things like Zegers's, um, you know, management and the minutes he plays and the situational uh, situations he plays. Mm-hmm. And you could, I think it's easy to put the blame on Akins, but we don't, we don't know if that uh, directive is coming from Bob Murray or not, and and whether that's uh, right. you know, that's a mantra that he's kind of putting in place and saying, hey, you know, we got to do this with Zegris. Um, you know, if he's out there, you know, you don't don't put him in these situations, play him this amount of time, whatever. Um, so it's really hard to kind of judge who who that's coming from, whether it's from Aikens or, or Murray. But you can make the argument that that kind of both are to blame or both are at fault for it. You know, it's funny. I said I think if you think about it, like. We've heard Murray multiple times now mention that he wants to bring in a veteran coach to play, or not to play, but to have work with Aikens and kind of help him through. And it's funny because he kind of just doesn't seem to trust Aikens completely, and he wants to bring in someone to kind of mentor him on the job. And then you think about what they're doing with Egris, and the way that they're slow playing him so significantly, it it really does start to feel even more institutional. And I don't want to say that maybe, you know, Aikens completely agrees with all of these decisions, 
And so he's not, he's part of the problem and not someone who's kind of being forced into a bad spot. Um, we don't know either way. Both are just as likely. I mean, it's just as likely since he was hired that he feels similarly. Um, but it, it does seem to be institutionally when you look at the way that Murray has publicly talked about wanting to get Egan some help. Yeah. Yeah. When you, I think that's one thing we really haven't even dug into that much is the quotes from Murray that he wants to go out and get like a veteran assistant coach mm-hmm. to help Dallas Aikens along. And I mean, a sense he mentioned it in the, LeBron yeah. And, and I thought, um, and I guess he was for a while that Daryl Sutter was that guy as an advisor, right? That was kind of the reason he was brought in was to be that kind of, you know, veteran voice for Dallas Aikens when it comes to decisions and, and, uh, and support. And obviously Sutter went to, to Calgary, uh, to become their head coach. And now there's that void. And I think Bob Murray's looking to fill that. And then that is an off season thing. But, you know, when we sit here and talk about, you know, are Aikens and, and Murray going to be back at the end of this season? I think, you know, with that and Murray looking at decisions he's going to make in the off season, I think, he at least believes that he's going to be back. He believes that Dallas Aikens is going to be back for next season, and and he hopes to bring in, you know, veteran help on the coaching side. I I don't think that's the worst decision. I think if your your goal is to keep Dallas Aikens around, I don't I don't think it hurts him bringing in a guy with a bit more experience who's kind of been there and done that. Um, you know, we we had a an assistant like that when we had Paul McLean in terms of a guy who's kind of been around everywhere and 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 done a lot in coaching. Um, so to go out and get that guy wouldn't that, be the worst thing. Isn't that a different situation though? Because Paul McLean came in and helped who? They it was at the end of Boudreaux? Uh yeah. I think yeah, yeah, near the near the end, I believe. Okay, so yeah, so Boudreaux, you know, he'd been a coach for a while. He'd been the coach of the Ducks for a while. He had obviously had a long stint in Washington. Like, I think bringing in a guy who has been a head coach to run your special teams is very different and like especially when you say this is an incentive when you give someone this kind of ambiguous title like you know special advisor to the president or whatever the hell (laughs) and it's just like well what does he do well he's there in case dallas wants to talk about something so he's a big brother he's a mentor he's like what is he like and it's like well you know he's just a resource that we all thought would be good provide some extra experience and some different perspective it's like okay but what do you do I think that's very different, and I, I, it kind of bothers me a little bit because it's kind of, to me, a worse version of the stuff that they're doing with Zegras as far as just completely um, refusing to give them the full run of the mill when they seem to – I mean, I don't know that I've ever seen something like this with a head coach before. I remember – uh, Mike Yo, I think, went and worked under Hitchcock for like a year or something yeah. in St. Louis. But it's never been we're bringing in someone on top to put over them. But they're not really – like I just – I don't know. It just feels like you either believe Higgins is the guy or you don't. But you need to give him the authority and the space to do his job. And if all you're talking about is how, you know, at the end of last season it was I didn't get involved enough. And this season, it's we need to bring him in some help. It's like, are you trying to bring him in? Or are, you, are you trying to bring in help? Or are you trying to bring in a new coach? Because if you don't think Aikens is it, which it almost doesn't feel like you do, it feels like you're being pushed into this, then you're doing everybody a disservice by not just firing him or quitting. Like, you know, 
yeah. than Rutherford did, which we should encourage more of. I think it, it is a bit of a weird situation, right? Like if he says he has full confidence in Dallas Aikens, but says he needs to get a veteran help to, you know, aid him along, I guess, in his development as a coach. I mean, he's a young coach in comparison to other guys, but he's not really that young. And, you know, how, how, how long are you going to give this guy to really get established and get things going? And, and how much of a difference is, you know, bringing in a guy who's been around, been a head coach in different places, is now kind of near the end of his career and is, is going to come in as, as an assistant coach or an assistant to Dallas Aikens just to, you know, kind of help him along the way with certain decisions. At some point, you just kind of lose faith that, that Dallas Aikens can be a head coach in the NHL. And you lose faith in Bob Murray's kind of judgment and his decision-making process when he says he has full confidence in Dallas Aikens and his abilities, but he needs to get him help. And, you know, like you said, where, mm-hmm. where does that then now turn to, okay, we, you know, let's just go get a new head coach instead. Well, let's skip the whole process here, bringing him in help and seeing if that works and go out and just get a new head coach. And, and I think for a lot of people, they're getting to that point because they're, you know, this is really the first year where we've seen a lot of decisions that seemingly are made by Dallas Aikens go wrong. Uh, I think if you ask a lot of people going into this year, there was still a lot of faith in Dallas Aikens, and you know we got to give him time and and whatnot. A lot of, you know, I think a lot of those sentiments were similar across the fan base. I think if you mm-hmm. if you pulled it now and you look at the poll that the Athletic put out, I think uh, a week ago now, um, there's a lot of people who've kind of flipped on it and, and think uh, think the complete opposite here that Dallas Aikens has made some some pretty poor decisions this year. And uh, that his time might be up in Anaheim. I, I still am kind of on the fence there because I was one of the people who was saying we should give him a long leash and, and let him let, let him have time to kind of develop as a coach. Uh, but there are some some big decisions that I think he is the orchestrator of that have really kind of turned me off from from him as a head coach. Yeah, no, I think I I agree with you. Um, and there have been a number of decisions that he has made this year that give you every reason to be skeptical, uh, of him being the guy going forward. Um, I definitely agree that he should be given a long leash and like, I don't think one year is enough. And I think, you know, if they didn't do it earlier in the year, then he should be given the rest of the season at this point to see it out and see what he can do. But he either isn't he's either very bad at this or he could be good and he's being prevented from that by above him and both of them are a problem and i think that's the question that ownership has to ask right because i just i don't know it really bugs me this idea that it's not that we're bringing in a you know like like even the lamarillo and the dubis thing right Shannon was like, I'm bringing in Lamarillo and I'm promoting Dubas and I'm going to have them work together. Yep. But I want Dubas to learn from Lamarillo about how to do this. And then it got to the point where like Lamarillo was like, well, I don't want to leave or whatever. But that's very different. And again, even the Mike Yo situation where he comes under Hitchcock and he learns and they're like, eventually he's going to take over. This is putting someone on top of them and it just feels so weird and it doesn't feel like there's an institutional belief that Aikens is the guy going forward. And if that's true, why is he still there? Yeah, and and, and honestly, I think that's that's kind of the question right now, um, and, and one that we'll, I like will likely get answered in the off season because I, I think there isn't a ton of optimism that 
both, if any, of you know both of these guys in, in Dallas Aikens and Bob Murray are going to be gone in the offseason. Um, you know, it's it's not a, a similar situation where you look across the league and at some of the you know the, the very very bad teams in this league where you could sit and say, okay, like there's no chance this guy's back. You know, the Sabers have, have made their moves uh, on the the coaching side of things, and honestly, the general manager could be next out the door if they can't turn things around here. There's a bit of a, a sense there that that things are are going to happen and, and moves are going to be made. I think uh, on the Anaheim side of things. Um, I don't know if I trust the ownership per se to to get Bob Murray out of here at this point, um, just because of how much he's done for this franchise and, and I guess how much weight he carries uh, organizationally to say he would be out. I, again, I think you know you brought this up a few times. It's not so much that he'd get fired, but that he'd get promoted into a different role. Um, right. You know, they're not going to pay two general managers and and one of them not even work with the organization any anymore. It would be a promotion for well, Bob Murray I, into a different role. Just... Yeah, I also don't. I don't. I think they think more of him than that. I think that they and him would view that as disrespectful, and I don't think they would do that to him unless this goes way off the rails. I don't see them just dumping him like that. Is this not already way off the rails, though? In the sense that the Ducks are the second worst team in in the National Hockey League behind a team, or just in front of a team that lost eighteen games in a row. I mean, yeah, but what's changed between now and when it was really bad, what, two weeks ago? And they didn't fire him then. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think like that might be the only thing that it would get to a point where it would be so bad that you'd have to make a move, is that if the Ducks went on a Buffalo t- Sabres-type losing streak where it was like a 10-plus game losing streak, where you mm-hmm. could sit back and say maybe they'd be forced into something. But even that's not super you know, inconceivable that it, that it couldn't happen. Like, could I see the Ducks going on a 10-game losing streak at some point in, in the, the last little stretch of the season here? I, I don't think it's impossible. Like, I, def- I definitely think it could happen. Or a stretch where they lose kind of eight of their, their next 10. Um, you know, it's not like they're a team who wins that many games this year that it's impossible for them to do that. But even then, I don't know if I would say that, that you know, Dallas Higgins where Bob Murray would go. I think it's just par for the core, the course of this season that the Ducks are a bad team and they're going to lose, you know, more games than they win. And if you lose eight of your, you know, your last 10 or nine of your last 10, it's kind of right on par with, with how you've been playing all season anyway. All right. Here's what we're going to do. Next game is against Arizona. Do you think that's a win or a loss? I, I think it's, I, I, I again, I don't want to turn this into a downer pod, but I would, I would think it's a loss just based on how much that game means for Arizona, just like this one. They just leapfrog right. the Blues into a playoff spot. It, it means so much more for for the Coyotes to come out and play hard for that game. San Jose, we should say, should be a pick'em, right? Yeah, yeah, but even the Sharks uh, again, some momentum after their win tonight, and you know they're yeah, pushing they still for a playoff suck. spot they're too. They're still old. Yeah, but they're yeah. still old. They suck. Okay, Colorado and Vegas. Those are likely yeah. losses. Right, so there is six of wait no five of those left in April alone. Three games against the Sharks, four against the Kings, and then one against the Kings, two against Seattle, two against Minnesota. I don't think Are it's out of Seattle? the question. Not Seattle, uh, <laughs> St. Louis. I was just thinking STL. I'm sorry, um, but. Uh, man, 
there's a very good chance that they don't get to 20 wins this year. What are they at right now? Well, wins-wise? 12. Yeah. There's a very real chance that they do not get to 20. Yeah, I, I definitely think that there's a, a good chance they don't get to 20. Um, yeah, and, and again, I like even even if they, they don't get to 20 or they go on a losing streak, or like I said, they lose 9 of their last 10, it's it's not really that much different than the way they've been playing all year, this year, right? Like, it really isn't. Uh, it's slightly right. worse than the way they've been playing. So I, I really can't see much happening here uh, where they would feel like they're hard-pressed to fire Dallas Akins or move on from Bob Murray mid-season. It, it just feels like an off-season move uh, at this point here. Um, all right, we got to move on for this because there is one thing I want to get to because we talked about Drysdale a little bit earlier. I didn't even realize this until somebody tweeted it out um, post-game that this was Jamie Drysdale's seventh game, so he's officially counted as his first year of his entry-level contract, um, which, uh, I mean... The Ducks aren't going to send him back down to San Diego at this point. You know, he was no, just playing so well that they had to uh, keep him up at this point. I think the interesting thing to note, though, is you know the OHL season or the the chance of an OHL season has been severely hampered with uh, another lockdown coming in place, um, essentially now, uh, as of today, in Ontario for an- another month period here, where that likely means the OHL won't begin in the month of April uh, at the earliest, it would be in May. And at that point, you're really pushing it to try and have a regular season. I, I you know, honestly, at this point, I think the OHL is not going to have a season. I don't think it's going to happen at all. I don't see how you can begin in May and, and properly have, you know, the 20 to 25 ga- game season that they were hoping for. Uh, Cause then you'd look, be looking at an end date of around June or July and, and that's past the draft. Like you have to be finished that season before the draft. I think if you're going to actually have it run. Uh, so you're looking at that ending before June 24th or 25th when the draft is usually scheduled. So that means Jamie Drysdale might be able to stay here for the entire year and get time playing time in San Diego if they wanted to do that. I, I don't think he's going to get sent back down uh, at all at this point i think the right. o- the only the only place i saw him going back to was erie if the ohl season started and not being a you know an option for the ducks to say okay he looked good here but we're going to send him back down um to the ohl and let him have some playing time but now that he's begun his elc there really is no argument to send him back to the ohl even if they do have a season like you've already burned the, the first year you might as well just keep him up here at this point before we get your take on that we're gonna head into the first break I'm back again, this time to talk to you about hosting your own podcast with our distributor, Blue Wire Pods. And there's no better place to host than Blue Wire Hustle. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or, if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll get you your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is you can get all of this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you for just the initial setup. So if you're ready to do more than just listen to us, talk about our favorite team, then make your voice heard and hustle. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bluewirehustler.com slash join check out the description box in this episode to find out more but that's bwhustle.com slash join 
The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything. Which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. I mean, I simply think he's just too good. I think that they need him um, at this point. You know, I, <laughs> I've i joked about this with you, you know, on the side, but like it really is one of those things where I'm trying so hard to pump my brakes because I think this kid is really good. And I'm, I'm trying not to get ahead of myself mentally. Um, but I don't think that they can afford to send him down. Um, I don't think the OHL is going to have a season. I think they're waiting until the last possible minute to announce it for whatever reason. Um, I don't think that makes sense. I think, you know, if I was like, I don't know, a sponsor, an investor, or someone who was, you know, involved, I would almost want them to say, we're officially not having this season, but we're starting right now on next season. That would probably make me feel better and just call it. But I don't think that they can afford to just you know, that's usually why businesses wait so long to say something that they know is true. It's just because it's going to cost them money. Um, yeah. So I would imagine the OHL is waiting as long as humanly possible to have to say that, but they probably already know that. There's probably an internal um, kind of date yeah. that is set for, you know, if the exactly. season doesn't begin after this point, there's no chance. I can't see that. I mean, it's a nightmare <clears throat> PR move. Uh, in the middle of a province-wide lockdown to be like, yep, we're going to have our season and it's going to start in the middle of a lockdown. So that's why, I mean, I, I can't see it starting until May. And unless you're starting, you know, first week of May or maybe second week of May at the latest, I don't see how you can squeeze in a, you know, a 20-game season in there to, to salvage anything at this point. And, I mean, it's good news for the Ducks um, in the sense that you don't have to make that choice, that dry still then can stay in the NHL. And if you don't want him in the NHL for, for any reason, I don't know what reason you wouldn't want him in the NHL at this point, but then you do still have that San Diego option for the rest of the year. And, and as Apparition mentioned in, in the chat here that, you know, the Ducks can keep Zegers or not Zegers Drysdale up for the entire NHL season as it remains. And then they can send him down to San Diego for the playoffs. Uh, Didn't the AHL some... already announce they weren't going to have the Calder Cup this year? They may have. I might have missed that that uh, that announcement. That's that's possible for sure. But there there could be some playing time near the end of the season where Zegers or Jesus, I keep saying Zegers. Well, I guess it was Zegers and Drysdale get some playing time with San Diego outside of uh, the Ducks organization. So it'll be interesting to see. Uh, but it, it's just it's it's good news for the Ducks that uh, they don't have to make that decision. We're going to see Drysdale likely for the rest of the season, and he can't hit that accrued season limit that is hampering Trevor Zegers' playtime at this point because uh, Drysdale can't, I think, officially play 27 games, uh, even if he played every game to, to finish out the right. season here for the Ducks. So I think he would just come in just shy of that around like 25 or 26 games. Um, so, and, and he's, he's deserved it, man. Uh, you, you can't say enough good things about this kid, uh, and it makes you excited yeah. for, for next year. When you know you see the progression from Zegers and Drysdale heading into to kind of next year's season in a full eighty-two game season, that 
it's as we mentioned on a couple shows ago, it's likely going to be a quicker progression than what we've seen from Jones and Terry and come to on steel where these guys are supremely talented players and, and that uptick in production um, from the first season to the second season is something that, that we're likely going to see more evident with these guys. And hopefully it's something that, uh, that we're going to see come a little bit quicker. Right. Is I think that's, that's something that ducks fans are, are really eager to see is, is that progress, you know, that year on year progress from, from these top, top guys and these top prospects. Yeah. I think at this point, the next on ice thing, Anaheim fans have to truly look forward to just beyond watching different players try to improve over the course of this year is hopefully we have something close to normal next year and we have a prospect game uh before the season um you know i know how that's that's how troy terry and isaac lundestrom popped early in their careers maxim comtois as well um and if we start to get pro and colangelo and tracy and thrun and lakeham and some of these guys you know all on the ice together and really see kind of where they're at and what we may have, um, you know, give gruel another summer, give Hunter drew another summer. Um, had to I, throw think in there, eh? I, I had to get up both of our guys in there. <laughs> I thought it was only fair, but I just, you know, I think, I think that's really could be very exciting as far as having something to kind of see, uh, beyond what we've seen this year from the young players. Um, but yeah, there's there's a lot of positives to take away right now, I think. And I just think at this point, it's just kind of about trying to just get through the rest of this year without going crazy. I think an interesting tidbit from that, that OHL discussion we just had is if they don't have a season, this also affects Jacob Perot as well, uh, where he wouldn't go be going back to Sardin. I know he's injured right now. Um, but, I mean, not bad production with the goals, five points in 11 games. Uh, if he goes, I think he would start back in San Diego after the injury. I don't think it's out of the question, though, to say the Ducks wouldn't hand him an NHL debut if there was no OHL season near the end of the year. You know, the last two or three games of the season, they've done that with some of their, their prospects in the past where you know, just for those last couple of games, they've they've thrown them in just to get an NHL debut and get some playing time. I wouldn't say it's out of the question to see Jacob Pro, and that would be a, another debut I'd be pretty excited to see. Uh, you know, even if he doesn't look ready, which I don't think he is, it would be nice just to see a guy, you know, a, a supremely talented finisher like that in this Ducks lineup and just see what he can do and, and put him in the best possible situation for him to succeed, right? Maybe play him with a Getzlaff or a Zegers, play him on the on the power play and put him in, in that kind of prime, uh, you know, Ovechkin-type position and see what he can do. I mean, that's where he's been utilized in San Diego. And I remember the couple games I watched from him in preseason and in the regular season, he was just ripping pucks from, from that. And, and he was the main go-to guy on the power play when, when he was put in that position. So I would love to see a, a Perot debut uh, for the Ducks this year, even if it was just one or two games, just to see what he can do. Yeah. And I think what's interesting, and I was just looking right now, his birthday is April 15th. So by the time you get to the end of April, beginning of May, he'll be 19. And I wonder if, you know, given that and given that he has had some experience playing in the in the AHL this year, if that does make them more likely to give him two or three games at the end of the year and and see just if there are any returns on early returns, at least on his his shot converting at the next level and him doing the rest of the things he needs to do to become the top six goal scorer 
you know, that he seems to have the potential to be. Yeah, he's like the next one in line, right? He's the next kind of exciting one in in the sense that we've seen Zegers and Drysdale uh, for a decent mm-hmm. amount of time in the NHL this season. The next in line and the next top prospect for the Ducks is Jacob Perot. And Yeah, uh, I think it's him and Dostal kind of tied. For sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely Dostal as well. And we might even see that by the end of the year too, mm-hmm. um, where the last couple of games of the season, maybe Dostal's handed uh, his NHL debut as well or, or comes in... Um, you know, as a as a relief in a game if he has to, but I think they would rather hand him a start rather than you know a backup job that he has to come in in the middle of the game for. So those are the two big next ones. I th- I think they're you know kind of long shots in the sense that you know they don't have to do it this year, and it would be something that we wouldn't see until the end of the season. But it would be fun uh, to get both of their debuts in before we we call it quits on on this shortened season. Um, one thing I do want to get to because. Uh, not the waivers situation over the last couple of weeks has put some some speculation on on a ton of players that the Ducks could claim. Um, Shane Gostisbehere went on waivers between the last podcast and this one. He ended up clearing, obviously, but he's a guy that you talked about in in just kind of trade discussions that we've had over over the year. And a guy you'd be interested uh, in the Ducks picking up, obviously that that didn't happen, and he ended up clearing waivers, which was slightly surprising, but not. Not no, too wasn't. surprising because Henry cleared waivers, and I think that's a very similar situation yeah. in terms of cap and term and the impact they were having at the time that they were sent down. Um, so that one wasn't super surprising, but Evgeny Svechnikov was just put on waivers this morning by the Detroit Red Wings. That one seems right up the Ducks' alley in terms of why not claim this guy. You know, a former. 19th overall pick in 2015 he's only 24 makes the league minimum he's a restricted free agent at the end of this season so you still do have control and being able to be the the kind of the first rights to sign him to an extension and it wouldn't likely cost you that much because he's been in and out of a Detroit Red Wings lineup that hasn't been good this year and he's got three goals and five points in 10 games just feels like you know one of those why not take a chance on this guy type thing, similar to Volkov, right? And clearly we're willing to bring in Russians, so I'd be all for this one. This would this would be a big um, a big waiver claim, I think, for the Ducks to take a chance on. Yeah, I think this is a... Uh, I think this is in what you're trying to do. I think this is similar to how I felt when I saw that Tyler Ennis had hit waivers. Um, you know, is he's a guy, you know, with some skill, I think... Tyler Ennis, unfortunately, was kind of the modern bottom six guy, but he was just a little too old um, because he's a good player. He drives play. You know, he, he can play in a third and fourth line role. Uh, and I think Sveshnikov, you know, just gives you kind of goal scoring upside. And it's just another shot at putting someone in your lineup who can generate goals. I think it's worth mentioning that there's really no way as far as the Gossesbear thing is, there are four teams in the league that could afford to move his cap hit in right away with no issue. Um, now, I'm sure there are more than a couple of teams with potential IR guys that they can move to LTIR and stuff like that. But there was very little real danger of him ever getting claimed. Um, and, you know, I mean, he's probably the best or second best player to kind of hit waivers like that this year. When you look at him, you look at Johnson, you look at Gostas Bear, who I think is probably the best of the three. Um, 
But I just think the waiver thing isn't weird, and I think everybody knows that it's weird, and so I don't think there's really any risk at this point of players kind of being picked up on it. That being said, because there isn't a cap hit, because they seem to be actually looking right now to bring in goal-scoring potential, Svechnikov is exactly the type of player that it would make a lot of sense for them to do, but I'm not 100% sold that they will. Yeah, he just kind of similar to Volkov in in the sense that you know former second round pick for Volkov, a guy that is playing way down in the lineup at a very good team. They brought him in in the hopes that playing him up in the lineup, you can kind of rediscover that potential, you know, change the scenery type situation there, where he comes in and, and maybe doesn't fulfill the the potential they had when he they drafted him in the second round, but comes in and can kind of get close to being an everyday NHL player. And I think the same thing can be said with Svechnikov and maybe even more so uh, when he was drafted 19th overall in 2015, he was, you know, one of the best goal scorers in that draft had some exceptional hands and then coming in at six foot three uh, at, you know, in, in 2015, that was like the total package, right? You know, the power four, the goal scoring Russian winger, and uh, you know, he, I don't want to. I don't even want to say he hasn't really fulfilled the potential yet because he just really hasn't been given the opportunity with Detroit to do that. Um, and even this year, you know, he's averaging just over ten minutes in ice time. He has three goals and two assists in ten games played. It's not like that's bad production. That's usually something that you would think on a bad team would keep you in the lineup. Uh, and it's a weird decision, I, I would say, from the Red Wings to waive a guy like that who is a restricted free agent at the end of the season and is only 24 and to, to move on from an asset like that. It, it's just one of those ones you sit back and you say, this is a no brainer for, for some right. team to take a gamble on. Why not the ducks, which is probably why we're going to wake up you know tomorrow around noon and, and find out that he cleared waivers and <laughs> nobody took a chance on him. So I, I would love him. I mean, it, it, it's, it is tough to, I guess, slot him, into the Ducks lineup in the sense that there is already a long jam of young players. Uh, but I think you, you just kind of pick them up and figure it out, right? Uh, it, it never hurts to bring in another young asset into the organization and see how they can do. Um, and and right. when you look at the lack of real goal-scoring talent here, why not take a chance on a guy who at one point was considered, you know, one of the best goal scorers in, in that draft class? Um, you know, it's, it's worth a gamble. He's only 24. There's plenty of time for him to turn it around. Yeah, no, he's got nine points in 30 games, five goals. Um, you know, it, it's definitely one of those things that's weird. I mean, I don't know if it's similar to the Daniel Sprong situation where on paper the numbers look a little bit better than what you see. Um, I, Because I am not uh, a masochist, I have not subjected myself to much Detroit hockey these last few years. Um, so I can't speak to, you know, what issues he's had on the ice. But... It's absolutely worth it. It's a free shot at somebody. It, I mean, I don't know. It's not really a first round pick, but it's a guy who went in the first round at one point. You're getting a free shot. It's going to cost you nothing. Worse comes to worse. He doesn't work. You wave him and you lose him for nothing. And so, yeah, I mean, I think there's every reason to do it. Um, there's nobody really in the lineup right now. I mean, maybe for a couple, but like, I don't think there is any reason that you couldn't give him two or three games in a row. I mean, they've been comfortable sitting Danton Heinen, um, no problem, Zegras, Steele, things like that. So I think you can bring him in, give him a couple of games, see how he does. And if it doesn't work, you wave him, send him down. And if he clears, he clears. And if not, well, 
you got to try out for free. So if he wasn't Russian, it feels like the type of guy Bob Murray would jump on, right? Like a six three, two hundred twenty uh-huh. pound power forward who can score. Uh, that's Bob Murray's type player right there, right? It, it, kind of similar to, to Max Jones in that sense. Svechnikov is a, is a pretty gritty player himself. Um, and then also, again, the Bob Murray type of thing here is is he loves those kind of, uh, you know, revival stories. The guys who were originally yeah, you know, first-round yeah, first picks at one point or second-round picks and, and to bring them in. But, hey, you know, with Volkov coming in, the Russian thing maybe goes out the window. And I joked with you before the podcast here, if we could somehow get Galimov out of his KHL contract, pick up Svechnikov off waivers, we could all of a sudden roll out a, a Russian trio of Volkov, Galimov, and, uh, and Svechnikov. In the lineup for for the next couple coming games here, which would be uh, it's got to be the first in Ducks history, a Russian trio rolling out on on one line. I can imagine there hasn't been uh, there hasn't been too many Russians in the Ducks organization over the last you know. I was gonna say I'm trying to think of a time where there may have been three Russians on the ice in the at lineup all. at all. Yeah, I mean when Fedorov was there, what it would have been Fedorov, Fedorov and uh, Fedorov Soleil, but he was Belarusian, so that kind of doesn't count. I don't yeah. think Brzezgalov I mean, was, was around. Chistov in the Federov lineup when Fedorov was there. Maybe it was a fedorov Chistov pairing there, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But, yeah, but yeah, no. I mean, look, that's that's what they should be doing. They should just be taking flyers like that for no real reason. Um, they have nothing to lose. Um, it's interesting. You said, what did you, you said? Oh, I was thinking about. Uh, you said the point about if he was Canadian, uh, Stefan Mason. Uh, the guy we got in the uh, Bobby Ryan deal, yep. who was the the proper prospect in that with the pick and all that, he kept getting claimed on waivers. Like he definitely, I know, had some upside as like a a middle six winger or whatever. And injury kind of really messed with his career. But I mean, if a guy like that is going to be part of a a waiver wire tag, it's really hard to think that a guy who went 19th overall and is a power forward, um doesn't have as equal a shot at being given the opportunity to to wash out of three two or three separate organizations on his own merit you know what i mean yeah yeah i, I just i honestly can't fathom waking up tomorrow and sveshnikov clears waivers like some team out there is going to take a shot on him he's only like i said 24 restricted free agent league minimum why not like it it's a guy you could almost say you would trade for like it, it i wouldn't be surprised yeah. if i had a back when Volkov got acquired, if it was Antoine Morand and a conditional seventh for Evgeny Svechnikov, right? Like, I, I could see that being a deal that could happen, uh, that a team would take a chance on him. So I, I imagine, you know, the opportunity here to get a guy like that in for free uh, is enticing a few GMs. And when you look at the fact that the Ducks are, are at the kind of top of that list based off the standings right now to have a chance to acquire him, um, mm-hmm. I think outside of Buffalo, we we debated this before the show on on who would have first dibs over the Ducks in Ottawa, and I'm I'm not kind of up to date off the top of my head on on what kind of tiebreakers there are um, for the waiver wire situation. Maybe with the loss tonight, the Ducks are below Ottawa in points percentage, so that might tip them over the edge. So as long as Buffalo doesn't put in a claim for Evgeny Svechnikov, um, he might be a duck tomorrow. I mean, that would be that'd be a nice way to wake up in the morning uh, to to kind of a new addition there. But I want to get to a couple questions we had. We were talking about some of the goals prospects and and some ducks prospects uh, a couple of minutes ago, and a uh, few few people in the chat had some questions about some of the guys in San Diego. Uh, first one was DB Lowry asked about Eric Sinek, uh, the, the the 
current goal starter who's been on a tear. I mean, Lucas also started on a tear, won his first five games, and then lost seven straight. Uh, but Erickson Ack, I think, last time I checked in on him, so he, there, there might be a loss or a couple more wins in here. He had won four games in a row. He was 5-1-0 and on the season, and he looked pretty good. Um, you know, never a guy who was really hyped up as much as Dostal was for, and and uh, yeah. Dostal was hyped up for good reason. Don't get me wrong, but uh, it's been Lucas Dostal for a while. But another good one in the pipeline with Ole Eriksson Ek. I, I think he has a potential to eventually get some some NHL you know games under his belt uh, in in the not so distant future, whether it's with the Ducks or another organization here. But he has looked pretty good for the goals so far this season. And, and there's never a bad thing to have goaltending depth in your organization and guys who can kind of step in, especially with Ryan Miller moving on here to, to have, you know, Stolars and Dostal and Erickson Eck as kind of guys you could lean on it potentially in the future as, as backups to John Gibson or, you know, dare I say it, potential successors in Dostal's case. It's, it's not a, uh, it's not a bad situation to be in. That's for sure. No, I mean, I remember when he was drafted, it was kind of treated as like a, this is a good, solid prospect who uh, has all of the tools to make the leap to the NHL. It'll be about development and things like that, but the signs are there that it could happen. It won't be anytime soon. It's still John Gibson's net, you know, that whole thing. Um, and that seems to kind of just be what it is still, you know, he seems to be a player who's coming along. He's He's developing, he's playing well, and He'll probably, like you said, earn himself a shot. I would imagine uh, probably next year uh, if he sticks around. Maybe he's claimed um, or traded or something like that so they don't lose him for free or whatever. Uh, but I definitely think we'll see him get a shot on the NHL within the next probably 18, 24 months. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of it depends on uh, Ryan Miller's situation and Anthony Stolarz if he sticks around with the team. And then next year you would think it would be a dostal erickson Eck. Uh, duo in San Diego, which is a lot of fun for the girls next year to have two uh, pretty talented goaltenders like that in their system. Uh, and if Stolarz doesn't pan out, you would have to expect that Dostal is, is close to being the third in line there for the backup job um, behind John Gibson for the foreseeable future. So that, that kind of bumps uh, Dostal and Erickson Eck up the pipeline there. Um, we did, you did give a shout out to Benoit Olivier Gru and Hunter Drew, and Shane asked in the chat how far out both of them are. I think just based off kind of the play style that Hunter Drew has, I think he's probably closer to making uh, the NHL. Um, you know, he's never going to be a guy who puts up a ton of points, especially you know when you go up the the levels. I don't know. Here. Well, he put he's up an a, elite right wing right he, now. He's an elite right wing. Yeah, that's the most don't interesting development I, I I've ever seen. I don't think we have to talk. We have to. Uh, we we got to get him on the pod. We got to talk to him. I want to talk to him about his time in in Slovakia in in the off season here, where he put up like. I think it was like 112 pims in like 10 games. <laughs> so. He's a legend. He's an absolute legend. But um, I don't think he's necessarily far out. Like if the Ducks move on and, and from guys like Manson and uh, and maybe Shattenkirk can make some trades here. Like he's a right shot defenseman, uh, pretty high up in, in the depth chart uh, for guys who could make a debut here. Obviously, Gouli and, and Mahara are likely ahead of him. Uh, to come up and, and play in the NHL in San Diego. But if the Ducks want to add kind of a physical presence to their blue line, I don't think it, it's hard-pressed to say that Hunter Drew could get an NHL debut, um, you know, maybe late this year or into next season uh, if he continues to play the way he is for, for San Diego. And I think as for for Gru, I think it's a bit of a longer um, 
you know, a longer path to the NHL for him. It's his first year of professional hockey, so he's likely going to spend the entire year with San Diego. But you know, maybe with injuries next year, we see him we see him squeak up in the lineup if he's producing with the goals, or if not, uh, if not next year, then a, a, another year out from that. Because I think I think he's eventually going to be an NHL player. I think just defensively, he's so good that he's going to become that kind of third line checking shutdown center who can be a, a mainstay on your penalty kill. Uh, so his ceiling, or sorry, his floor is pretty high. Uh, just for his ceiling, it all depends on how that offense translates uh, from junior to the AHL and eventually to the NHL for Gru. Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, I would expect both of them to play five or ten games next year. Um, you could tell me that both of them started on the roster at the beginning and next season, played five or six games, weren't quite ready, but showed some promise and were sent back down and didn't play another game in the NHL next year. And you could tell me both of them became, you know, regulars halfway through and finished the games, finished, you know, 25 games played next year. Uh, I think I could see both of those being just as likely. I do think, like you said, just because of his style and his size, there might be a shot at seeing Drew sooner than not. But I wonder, you know, we joked about it a second ago, but still like he has been playing forward in San Diego and, for a guy who was drafted as a physical project shutdown defenseman, who was, he's a physical shutdown defenseman, but he was very clearly viewed as a project. There were significant holes to his game um, and things that he needed developed. And now, you know, he had that great, <laughs> ridiculous season uh, before coming back over. And now he's playing wing in San Diego. And so I don't know what that does for his development. I don't know if that all adds up to him kind of being Brent Burns, Brendan Smith kind of a player. Um, but I would definitely expect to see both of them up up with the Ducks next season. I definitely think he's closer to Brendan Smith than Brent Burns for sure. Yeah, <laughs> I know. He could be um, you know, Carter Rowney's potential replacement on a Derek Grant Nick Delore line where he comes in as a, a fourth line right wing. What even I don't I don't even know. How did I I don't understand how of all of the defensemen that they had down there, they were like, we're going to put him in it forward. Yeah. I, I don't even know where that comes from. I don't remember in any of my time of, you know, kind of monitoring uh, Hunter Drew's career path that he's played forward. I don't think he's ever played forward at junior, um, let alone at the professional level. But I mean, they saw right. something uh, that they like as him as a, as a bottom six forward. Uh, and a lot of that probably has to do with just how much, uh, how much grit he has in the lineup. Uh, you know, he, he's, he's a perfect fourth line forward. I think. For the Ducks. Oh yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll label it as physicality if it, if it makes you feel better. But uh, <laughs> uh, the, the last prospect question we had before we get into our kind of last topic of the show here was about Braden Tracy and uh, kind of his development. Uh, the WHL just began their season, I think earlier last month. And Victoria was one of those teams that were a little bit behind the ball just because of their location in terms of starting. So Tracy has three games under his belt. Uh, went scoreless or pointless in his first game, has back-to-back two-point games. He's got four points in three games now. Uh, he's kind of become the forgotten man among Ducks prospects. There's a lot of excitement when he was drafted, a lot of um, a lot of scouting members in uh, the, I guess, the social media community on Twitter were, were high on him because of how much he rose up the rankings from a potential third-round pick to eventually a first-round pick for the Ducks. Um, fell off the wayside a bit in terms of hype just because he didn't have a great second 
season in the WHL, but he's still a guy to monitor that eventually, you know, if he can figure things out offensively and become that kind of go-to guy that uh, they expected of him, he could be a, a nice middle six option for the Ducks as an energy winger, a guy who can kind of chip in 20 goals here or there in, in, in an NHL season. I think he's a, a long ways away from the NHL, at least three or four seasons. Uh, but he's one of those guys that once you're competitive again and he could slot into the lineup and be a really valuable piece. So it's one of those nice projects that you can kind of wait on and eventually he'll make his way to the NHL just because of how skilled he is. Yeah, I think, you know, he is kind of exactly the one, the player you want to take with a second first round pick that you get in a deal like that. Um, you know, I, I think it speaks to how much and how fickle the conversation around prospects is in the NHL, you know, there's seven rounds to the draft. There's a draft every year. There's seven rounds of 31, soon to be 32 names. There's names more that some of us hear that never get picked and all these other things. And, you know, they're on your radar for a couple of months and then some of them do, and some of them don't make a leap or something like that. And then by the end of the next season, you're looking at the next set of things and so kids can just kind of get lost in the thing but like you said he's still whoever he was when he was drafted have the upside the skill set all that kind of stuff so now he's in a position where he may be a little bit forgotten about but he's still in the system they're still going to work on developing his game and bringing out what they see in him and if it hits it's great and if not um you know i think if nothing else they got zegris in that uh draft so they're fine yeah yeah i mean i mean like you said he was the perfect second pick when you have two first round picks a bit of a project a guy who kind of rose at the the draft rankings late and you know you reached a bit maybe he would have been a second round pick if the ducks didn't take him with that pick uh but you have hopes that you know he he rose for a reason and, and that reach pays off and i think there's plenty of time I mean, the, the, the kid's yeah, not even, absolutely. I don't even think he's 20 yet, or if he's 20, he's going to be turning 20 by the end of the year. So there, there's plenty of time uh, for him to figure it out. Um, we were going to get to Eric Stevens' kind of fan trade article that got put in. There's a lot of trades that uh, that we can go over there. I think we'll push that for Sunday's show because we are inching in closer to the trade deadline, and there's a lot that we want to cover and kind of go over with that. So we'll push that for Sunday. Yeah. The last thing I have to get to, because I, I put this in this show, and I have to get to it this show because I knew it would piss you off. Um, but there was uh, a lot of Habs writers writing about Corey Perry and his impact on their their lineup this year. and The fact that Corey Perry has seven goals in 26 games played for the Montreal Canadiens this year and uh, how nice it would be to have Corey Perry so producing stupid. at that level in this Ducks lineup. Now, it, it's it's taken out of a lot of context here because Corey Perry in this lineup doesn't score seven goals in 26 games. Montreal Canadiens lineup is a lot different than, than the Ducks lineup uh-huh. uh, in terms of talent and the system they play and, and uh, you know a bunch of different things involved there. Uh, so I thought it was funny, but I knew it would piss you off immediately saying, should Corey Perry have not been bought out and stuck around with the Ducks to improve their offense? <laughs> but it's it's just because like you know the whole thing is just talking about all this stuff about like you know oh why'd they buy him out blah 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 it's like oh they're not giving kids chances and they're not blah 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 so it's like okay which one do you want should they not have bought him out or should they not be playing some of these younger kids so you know we didn't get there the smoothest way but we definitely got to the point where we're starting to see more younger guys than not in these lineups they're giving these younger guys the opportunity 
to play. They seem to be handing the team over to them. I mean, we just saw tonight a power play that was all kids. Um, you know, I think it was, what was it? It was a uh, Volkov, Drysdale, Zegris, Lunderstrom, Comtois. Yeah. Um, you know, like they are really are starting to just give them things. And that's what we need. Because as everybody likes to say, we're not that close to being a contending team. So what you need to do to get there is you need to get these growing pains and lumps out of the way sooner than not. So having him do well in Montreal and forcing the Canadian media to have to be nice to him because he's doing well in Montreal. I love it. It's great. Yeah. Happy I'm for so the guy happy too. For him. He's awesome. That being said, he does not fit on this team. He does not fit with what this team is trying to do. If theoretically Enrique and Silverberg aren't on this team, then yeah, maybe you're in a completely different position and those kind of veteran winger roles are kept by the two guys who maybe they should have been allowed to keep them. But we are where we are. And Silverberg and Enrique are on the team. Corey Perry's not. And I just it feels so silly and revisionist to say that because he had he has seven goals on a good team playing a small role that Anaheim was stupid not to bring him around to play maybe a smaller or bigger role on a far worse team where he would not be surrounded with the kind of talent that leads to, you know, the skeleton of a Hart Trophy winner scoring seven goals. Corey Perry's contract, correct me if I'm wrong, was the same length as Ryan Getzlaff, right? So if he was still with the Ducks, Mm -hmm. it would have expired this year. Yep. So the the only thing I can say to to maybe defend the fact that the the Ducks should have kept him around is I would argue that I would have rather traded Silverberg wet before signing him to a new contract and kept Corey Perry yes. around. I think that's the only argument yes. I would make. I mean, you're adding three million dollars to the salary cap at that point, and the difference between Perry's contract and Silverberg's contract. Uh, but then I, I, you know, you you could also say maybe you should also sign Adam Henrique to that contract extension and traded him when you did, and just kept Perry's contract around and let it expire two years sooner, or I guess what three years sooner than Henrique and Silverberg's contracts will expire, and just let it come off the books. Uh, that's the only argument I can make there in, in defending Corey Perry for for sticking around, and it has really nothing to do with his offensive production, and more so to do with just kind of contract management and not signing some of these these older players to longer deals that eclipse the length of Corey Perry's contract, despite the fact that, yeah, Perry was making like $8.5 million. But you've now locked down, I think, around $11 million between Henrique and Silverberg for the next three years for guys who really aren't going to do much for your team. I think that's the only argument I can make for keeping Corey Perry around. Because as Lowry, uh, D.B. Lowry mentions in our chat, like he's also playing in the North Division. So of course his production is going to be high. He's playing the Sens. He's playing. Yeah, he gets to score on Frederick Anderson all the time. Yeah, he's yeah he gets to score on Frederick Anderson. He's playing Markstrom and Riddich in Calgary and Koskin and Smith in in Edmonton, as uh, DB Lowry points out too. So it is definitely a division that is friendly for goal scorers this year. And uh, Perry's getting all the opportunities he can to succeed in Montreal. And as we said, I'm I'm more than happy for the guy to be having a good year playing on, on what should be a playoff team and getting another shot at playoff hockey because, you know, as we've seen, he still is a valuable player in this league. If you put him in the right opportunities to succeed and you put him on a good team, he, you know, he can still get things done. I mean, across a full season, 
this is a 20 goal year from Corey Perry. You know, he's just scraping over 20 goals, 20 I think he'd be averaging around 21-22 and there'd be some slumps in there. So, but a, a right. 15 to 20 goal season from Corey Perry right. on a, a competitive team, it's not bad. It's not a bad year for him. So, I'm I'm happy I'm happy he's doing well because he he had some stints in Dallas where he looked good, but for most of it it was was kind of a failed experiment for them. So for him to go to Montreal, which apparently is his is kind of boyhood team, and and do so well is you know I, I he's my he's always going to be my favorite player from the the kind of the Ducks era that I got to watch the most, um, right? Where you know watching him come up from London and and then I ended up getting drafted by the Ducks and and some of the stuff he did in Anaheim was just unreal. So for for him to have success now is is great. I I, I do you know selfishly wish he he retired as an Anaheim Duck and didn't go anywhere else, but. Uh, you know, we're, we're a bit past that now, so it is nice to see to see him doing so well in Montreal. Yeah, so here's the thing. I completely agree with Henrique and Silverberg should have been traded, and you should have just let the Perry and Getze contracts run their course together. Maybe, you know, right now you're having a conversation with both of them. Do you guys want to move? Do you want to go together? Do you want to sign extensions? What are we looking at? Right, I totally think that's a perfectly legitimate thing um to criticize for but here's what happened july 16th 2018 i think it was july 16th is what i saw 2018 adam henry signs his extension march 1st 2019 um silverberg signs his extension then the summer of 2019 is when Corey perry gets bought out once those two contract extensions are given and signed at that point Corey buying Corey perry out becomes the right decision to free up roster spots for more effective younger players. I agree that the process getting there was flawed and that we shouldn't have been put in that position, but from the place where that decision was made, it was a justifiable decision. And I don't think it was the wrong decision. Yeah, no, I I definitely think so. I mean, once those two contract extensions were signed, uh, signed, it was kind of a death warrant for, for Corey Perry and his contract and in terms of it getting bought out, it was just kind of the, the obvious option for, for the ducks to take Uh last question. One to show off with here is uh Perry related from Dave in our chat. He said, would you guys sign Perry to an extension past this year? If he was still on the team, I, I think what makes that question so hard to, to answer is we, we have no idea what his production would have been like um, if he had stuck with the team. I, I'm imagining in this ducks team, minus either one of if not both Henrik and Silverberg it, it wouldn't have been that great um so if you did sign him to a, a an extension past this season if he had a stuck around with the ducks uh, you know I, I think anything above 3 million would have been would have been way too much for him and, and term wise you would have been looking at like one year deals continually uh, until he retires um you know i i he's still a guy that Whenever he does decide to hang up uh, the skates, I would love for him to sign like a one-day contract and retire as a duck. I think that would be something he he would like to do and probably would will end up doing um, because I think you know he's he's such a big part of this organization. He's going to likely go into the Hall of Fame or, or be a guy who's up for that, and uh, his name should be and probably will be up in the rafters with Getzlaff at some point. Yeah, it's going to read eight, nine, ten. Um... As far as signing him to an extension pass this year, no, because of the expansion draft. I would have absolutely no problem doing the Marlo Thornton thing and just looking at them and being like, I will give you one year 
contracts until you decide you don't want to play anymore. I will, we can negotiate what the numbers are. I'm not going to, you know, make you sign for a league minimum out of disrespect or something like that. We'll figure out what makes the most sense for all parties involved. But I would do that every day. I wouldn't sign an extension because I don't want to risk losing them in the expansion draft. Um, I'd, I know that sounds silly, but if you're going to sign a veteran like that to keep them around, you don't want to have to protect them. And you don't want to have them go somewhere else that wasn't of their choice. Yeah. So I would just wait until after the expansion draft is finished and sign them. And I would sign them to one-year deals forever. I have no problem with that. I think they earned it. The Ducks managed to trade uh, Raquel and Silverberg this offseason. And you could get Corey Perry for $1 million, or league minimum, for one year uh, in free agency yes, this absolutely. year. Every I, I would do it. Every time. I would do it. Every time. I would do it. Just why not, man? Why not bring him back? I don't care if he puts up 10 points across 82 games. I just want to see that guy back in a Ducks jersey just for the fun of it. Just because I know we're not going to be good next year. Um, and I don't think they're going to attract any big fishes in free agency. And if, again, if it's league minimum, why not? One year of league minimum for Corey Perry to come back in the Ducks uniform and play with Ryan Getzlaff for the, the swan song of their career. It's, a, it's beautiful. I'll take it. Yeah, oh, dude, I'm telling you right now, I would trade for Corey Perry. Like, let's say this coming free agency, he signs like a two-year, $3 million deal somewhere or whatever. Towards the end of the year, he gets hurt and it's out for the season, comes into the beginning of the next year. He doesn't seem to quite look himself. He's eating up cap space. I would trade for him to bring him back to Anaheim. <laughs> I love Corey Perry. My my caveat yeah. is, is there has to be some guys who actually – vacate this lineup uh some of the the veteran guys mm-hmm. uh, you, again we, it comes back to the yeah, original push a couple of these guys out there yeah it comes back to the original discussion we had for why they bought him out is you're blocking some young players from getting in so the last right. thing you want to do is bring them back <laughs> to block some some young guys from right. coming into the lineup so i mean it's a pipe dream i think at at best maybe we see him sign a one-day contract when he retires and come comes back but uh i definitely do miss the the heydays of uh cory perry uh, you know, just being a pest and putting up uh, 30 plus goal seasons with the Ducks. So maybe, I, maybe one day I will relive it. I'm just waiting for somebody to fund the study for what mysterious condition Corey Perry has. This man has suffered from this his entire life, and never does he anybody ask about him. It makes me very sad. For some reason, this man is afraid of blue paint to the fact that he cannot stand up anywhere near blue paint and he always manages to fall down and luckily there are very nice people around that manage to catch him when he does this but his phobia is so bad he cannot stand still or stand up straight when there's blue paint around and i think we should look into this because it's got to be very hard to live his life it's 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 got to be super painful to live the life of cory so bad for him um all right well that wraps up this show we we pushed it late as always uh, but we'll be back uh, for Sunday show. Pat, for everybody who's been asking for Pat, Pat is making his return. He has told me he is making his return for Sunday. Take that as as you will, but Pat should be on the show Sunday night for his long-awaited return. I know all of you have been asking, where's Pat? Have we kidnapped him? No, we haven't. Pat will be back for the Sunday show after the Coyotes game. Um well, it might just be Pat Solo. Who knows? But Pat will at least be back for that show. Uh, so, you know, no no more asking. You know when he's coming back now. Um, 
And then after that, we, we do have post games scheduled up for this upcoming week for Tuesday after the Sharks game, uh, Friday after the, the Avs game, and then eventually Monday the 12th after the back-to-back against Colorado and San Jose. That Monday the 12th podcast might be an interesting one because that will be wrapping up whatever happened earlier in the day for the trade deadline as well. It'll be our mm-hmm. first game in a while, that or probably almost ever, that we've had a game on the same day as the trade deadline. So that will be... Uh, be an interesting one we're only we're closing into only what nine days away from trade deadline so we might be uh you might be seeing some action pick up in in this next uh this next week here in terms of ducks trades and whether guys like raquel and silverberg or manson or anybody else will be out the door so we'll have to see i hope for for content's sake we'll we'll have a few trades that uh that we can talk about and maybe for sunday's show uh we'll be talking about uh Evgeny Sveshnikov becoming the newest member of the ducks but uh, for all you guys who came out live, we appreciate you guys coming out uh, to, to the kind of a late show tonight. We know it's a late start to the game. And uh, we'll see you guys all out there for, for Sunday night's edition of the show and Pat's return to the post game show. Take care, guys. Bye, everybody.